Sometimes the greatest challenge to the remnant is, well, the remnant. Jeremiah 41 is all about that. But like Elijah in the cave, we may feel like we're the only faithful, but there are others who have not bowed their head to the corruption of bad leadership or to any other idol. But we are called to recognize that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter God's kingdom. Offering information for your mind. Enabling transformation for your heart. A weekly dialogue exploring God's word and its application for today's world. Sabbath School U. Thank you all for joining us once again to discuss this lesson. I'd like for you each to introduce yourself and tell me your favorite dessert. Hi, um, my name is Gina Ferranda and my favorite dessert is creme brulee. Mm. Uh, hi, my name is Eric Sloan and my favorite dessert is uh, anything chocolate based. Uh, lava cake would be a brilliant example of that. And my name is Alex Karras. My favorite dessert, hands down, baklava. Mm. And I'm Michael Martell. My favorite dessert is just a nice hot apple pie with vanilla ice cream. Not bad. Traditional. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Alex, would you mind giving us our scripture and opening prayer? Sure. I'm reading from Jeremiah chapter 42, verse 5. So they said to Jeremiah, Let the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us. If we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, please bless our discussion, and I pray that your Holy Spirit may be with us, Father, as we talk. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. We've been talking about Jeremiah, and we've been talking about the struggles that existed in his ministry and interaction with the Israelites. And now we're at the point where discussion has come up. Should they go back to Egypt? Should they stay and face the instruction of the Lord? And so one of the major components here, I think, in this discussion is the concept of who or what the remnant people were supposed to have represented. So when we, when we think about the term remnant, what is this referring to? Well, a remnant means like some, something or somebody that has been left behind and uh, is remaining. Uh, here we're talking about people that were left behind in Israel uh, after the Babylonians uh, took the creme of the crop, uh, mm. so to speak. And they just, they just were there. They stayed behind. Another way of looking at it as the individuals that maybe held out or the folks that had um, in one way or another escaped, you know, so these are the people that are just, they're left, hmm. you know, the remnant, those that remain. I like the, the way you put that. And so when we're, when, we're, when we're talking about the remnant, do you mind, Alex, uh, explaining to us what Jeremiah 40, 11 is referring to when, they, when they're talking about the significance of these remnants? Sure. I mean, uh, the context is there's, there's Jews in different places, mm -hmm. and they hear there's a remainder or uh, a few that have, that, has, that have been left in Judah, and uh, they come and they gather. Mm -hmm. so, so now when we, when we see, so basically we've, we've pulled in all the definitions of what remnant can mean, and, and, and this is the group of people we're talking about. And, and why, were they, why was this significant? 
I think it's significant uh, in one of the ways I was looking at is that God keeps his promise. And what I mean by that is if you just look at Jeremiah chapter 23, uh, verse 3, it says, But I will gather the remnant of my mm. flock of all countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds and catch this. And they shall be fruitful and increase. So we just talked about verse 11. Look at uh, Jeremiah 40, verse 12. It says, Then all the Jews returned out of all the places where they had been driven and came to the land of Judah to uh, Gedaliah and Mizpah and gathered, check this out, gathered wine and summer fruit in abundance. Mm -hmm. So God kept his promise. Right. You know, God knew there was going to be a remnant and here it is. And, um, you know, God is blessing them uh, at least up until now. I think we need to spend just a little moment unpacking this here because it's actually pretty powerful. And, and I like the way the question goes, the significance of the remnant, because, you know, our first inclination is to think of those who have been left behind or those who um, were not part of. It's probably maybe they had maybe less to offer or perhaps maybe they weren't as valuable. They didn't have or weren't considered to be as valuable. Mm. And what we're learning here from just what you've read back to and what we've read here mm. is that this was foretold. Mm. God was going to gather these people, and that means there was a purpose for them, mm. a defined purpose, not right. just right. you know these wandering folk who were not sure what to do with themselves. And I want to think that if I had a calling on my life that had a title, like something like The Remnant, <laughs> right? <laughs> Now that, that kind of takes on like a kind of a more, you know, that has a little more weight to it. I'm like, I'm the remnant. Mm. You know, I'm charged now with something. What is it? I feel like I need to find out what that is. And do you think that, you know, in today's society, when we think about Christians mm. and we think about maybe more specifically our faith, Seventh-day Adventism, if we link ourselves to the concept of the remnant, what does that mean? What, from what we're reading back, in, in the story of Jeremiah, how do we link that to ourselves today? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we're better than anyone. Right. But at the same time, I think we do need to strike a balance because it is a special pronouncement by God. Right. And uh, what it basically means is we're charged. Right. We're charged to convey, you know, the beautiful truths. Right. And, uh, and I think that's a very precious thing. Right, right. Yeah, yeah they, were, they were charged with keeping... Uh, the land of Israel that God had promised to Israel, uh, keeping it safe for when the Israelites would inevitably return from Babylon. Uh, in the same way, we are charged with guarding the truth mm -hmm. until we are able to return to our home. And what do you think some people in that time frame might have thought it meant? Mm. You know, uh, Anytime you get you give you're given a title, I, I think the temptation is to carry a little pride. Right. And I think uh, sometimes that also happens in our present day. Right. So when we when we read when we think back to the previous lesson, how the two prophets kind of had conflicting uh, mm. stories to share. You know, knowing that I'm the remnant. Hananiah actually sounds more like the message I'm expecting to hear, that <laughs> we're not going to be overtaken. We're the remnant. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're going to mm -hmm. prosper. We're the remnant. Yeah. But really what we're learning is that these people were called to care for, to serve, yes. to protect, to, to kind of maintain until, until their time had come again or, or however you'd like to word it. But the point is, is that there, there needed to have been a shift in what they understood their expectation was to fulfill. There was no glory seat mm -hmm. in and of themselves to obtain. 
but perhaps the servitude of what they were to accomplish was where glory would have been been viewed. And um, so that's why I think when we talk about the significance of what remnant means, we have to kind of look along that track, you know, finding out what the def definition of what they were called to do and who they were called to be. And that's why when we think of a group of a remnant people become significant. When we think about our lives today, we may not be specifically wandering in the desert, but mm -hmm. we're, we're out here in the world somewhere. And we're called to be a beacon of light. We're called to be the representation of Christ. What does that mean? And, and, and how do we now portray that significance? And, and just to add something, the cool part was, and as you mentioned, they weren't the cream of the crop, in the, at least in the eyes of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, um, Babylon. Mm -hmm. uh, but look at how much favor that God had bestowed upon exactly. them and how he looked on them. Right. And I think that's a lesson for us. Many times we get caught up, what skills do I have? What does my job think of me? Mm -hmm. You know, how am I doing in school? Mm -hmm. And we tend to base our value on those things. Right. Uh, but God says, no, 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 no. You need to base your value on what I've done for you. And that's, mm -hmm. of course, at the cross. Right, right. I really like what he was saying, too, also. Um, we don't necessarily understand how much responsibility it is that we are given in spite of our mm -hmm. shortcomings. Mm -hmm. And we are able to see that God doesn't look at that. He looks at, at just us. He looks at our hearts and he knows what's there. And so we don't necessarily need to focus on what we can't as ourselves, as humans, mm -hmm. you know, prevent ourselves from doing, but kind of follow with what he has in mind for us. That's Amen. right. That's right. That's very good. So if you were part of the remnant with the fear of a foreign power over you, would you flee or remain? <laughs> I mean, because now we've talked about what remnant means and maybe they didn't have the best understanding of what it meant. Uh, maybe they did and didn't know how to accept it. But, but to me, as we look through scripture and previously before the story of Jeremiah, we can see what, was, what had been written as prophecy for their lives. Mm -hmm. So we know something good was to come of it. So if you know that that's what the calling is and that's what you have look, to look forward to, if the threat of a foreign power comes now and you're the remnant, do you stay or do you flee? Oh man, I, I would have stayed, <laughs> you know. Uh, the the uh, Babylonians at the time, they were just going through the known world, t conquering nation after nation after nation. So they left me alive. They left these people alive. You know, might as well, you know, come together. You know, we can be a big group of people. And if they want to come back and try to go through killing more people again, like, What's the chances of it going to be uh, if it's me, if I've got a whole big group of people around me? Were the folks in Babylon killed? The folks in Babylon? The folks that had been taken oh. captive. Oh. They, they had been given some pretty good lives. Yeah. Yeah. But, but now we, we, have, we have to kind of reconcile what the folks that don't know what has happened there, uh, what are they expecting to happen? Hmm. You see what I'm saying? And the question is, does that mean that we are required to have a certain faith? and where it is God is leading us, even if it means uh, subjecting ourselves to what they may have considered a, a lesser group of people or people without morals, um, what would that have meant? What would that have looked like? And if you decide to stay, what does that mean to you of your allegiance to what you understand to be truth? You know, these are the kind, this is the context of how that question is asked for those people. And we're going we're gonna to see why that matters mm. as we move through some of our questions. But I, I want to ask that again because I, I think that it's not as easy to stay if you 
feel a specific allegiance to what it is you think you're called to be or to do. Mm -hmm. You, you yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah. So think about it as we move through it. Mm. Um, the next question is, in Jeremiah 41, who disturbed the peace of the remnant? That was Ishmael. In who was Ishmael? <laughs> He, uh, he was a, um, in a, politi uh, a political figure, mm -hmm. and he comes and he uh, disrupts the peace, and uh, he doesn't like how things are going. You know, he's an elitist, and he wants things different. But elitist of which group? Which group? He, he himself was a? Uh, he was a Jew. Yeah. yeah. And so the reason why I ask that is because there is a group of people mm. who remained who have the concept that we're not bowing to another power. Right. We're, we have the truth, you know what I'm saying? And, and their concept of what that victory would look like wasn't what Jeremiah was sharing. Yes. It was maybe closer to what Hananiah was sharing. Mm -hmm. And so if that's the motivation behind your beliefs, behind your concept, and then you see these people, these commoners, the, the ones that didn't have much worth, they're just, you're just gonna go? What, what, what is that, does that enrage you? Is there a, is there a plan that you might want to set forth that, okay, we don't really need to associate with these people anyway. Let's, let's be rid of them too. The reason I ask that is because we have in our society today that same mindset. Mm. We have the group of Christians who believe that there are lesser Christians, that there are lesser people. And we might lose sight of what we are called to do if we begin to think there's a particular calling on our lives that somehow is larger than someone else. Yeah, and, and I think it's very important that we never compare, mm -hmm. you know. I think many times, sometimes at least in the church, we have the habit of, of comparing ourselves, either getting down that we're not as good as maybe that preacher mm -hmm. or that Sabbath school teacher or that even that deacon, mm -hmm. or sometimes feeling uh, puffed up mm -hmm. because, oh, look at what I can do. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. uh, you know, we need to behold Christ. And that's what the Bible says, you know. And the reason why we can't judge anyone is because first, you never know where that person's been. Mm -hmm. You don't know what the person's been through. Mm -hmm. And you can never judge the intentions of that person. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so you really need to have your eyes focused on Christ. That's been a safeguard for me. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I mean, you know, it, it's tough, but that's what we have to do. Yeah. And, 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 and as we bring in some more characters to this, to this story, Jedaliah, if I'm pronouncing that correct, he was placed over the remaining individuals in Judah, right? And so what, if, if, if he too is now seen as perhaps some maybe some traitor, you know, maybe somebody who doesn't, you know, he's just a puppet that they've mm. sent to come and pacify mm -hmm. us. Um, you know, when he's told by, is it Johanan? It, uh, that's the way I'm pronouncing it. Sounds about right. Is uh, Johanan, that this Ishmael is, is coming to kill you. Mm -hmm. mm. He doesn't accept it. Mm -hmm. Why? What, what are some of the reasons that he, he, he would have doubted that? Well, he said himself he thought he was lying. Right. This is, he's <laughs> yeah. one of us. Like, yeah. Why would he do that? You know, what would be the point of that? Don't speak of him that way. Hmm. But we learn that, in fact, that is the plan. Mm -hmm. And then he does it in a most gruesome and forceful way. And we'll move through that as well. But <laughs> the reason I bring it up is because even amongst ourselves, we have groups of people. We have groups of individuals that separate within our beliefs 
And when we start to have these separations, we start to lose the sight of the actual calling, mm. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just because you may have had a calling placed in your life that that assumes or, um, or or expects greatness doesn't mean that you won't be called to be humbled through that experience. Yeah, yeah. even uh, using Jesus as the example, our ultimate leader, uh, he, right before he was crucified, sh washed the feet of 12 dirty nasty people, you know, mm. people that didn't wear shoes. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. in, the, in the same way, we can't <clears throat> see a place of leader, we can't like put ourselves in a place of leadership or uh, be called to a place of leadership and think that that leadership entitles us to better treatment, mm -hmm. to, uh, to a higher place. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that leadership is like, is God putting trust in us that we can lead in a godly manner. Mm -hmm. And obviously that wasn't really gonna happen here mm -hmm. in this society that was built, mm -hmm. uh, you know, post-Babylon. Right. And I think it's important that we, we also remember, we shouldn't undervalue uh, support roles right. in the church, you mm -hmm. know? It's not all about, you know, who is the top leader in mm -hmm. this and in that. Uh, all the lay members need to be involved and support and help each other. And that means if someone's a leader and has been a leader for a few years, maybe it's time for that person to be in a supportive role and help someone else to lead and give back. Right. And I, I think, um, you know, where there's a David, there's also a Jonathan. And, uh, yeah. you know, God doesn't judge us on, you know, what leadership, you know, position we've been able to rise to. Mm -hmm. He judges us with uh, what's in our heart and what we've been able to do with what we've been given, the mm -hmm. quality of work that we've put in. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So... You know, we could say that many of us are the Jedaliahs, right? Then some of us are the Johannans. Mm. But then maybe some of us are the Ishmaels, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. And then the question is, why is it so hard for believers to see trouble historically can come from within our own? It's so tough. Uh, there's so much trouble that can come from within, you know. Uh, uh, I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said, you know, look, if America's going to get conquered, it's not going to be from without, it's going to be from within. And why? It's because when you break up the unity that any organization right. is supposed to have, especially a church, then, and then Satan can come and creep in and destroy the whole thing, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and, and that's what we have to really guard against. But, you know, a lot of times... Uh, we tend to focus, and, and rightfully so, we focus on the bigger sins. You know, oh, look at that. Someone has uh, stolen something from the, the church offering plate. Or look, someone has committed adultery and no one knows about it. You know, we, we look at those things and we're like, oh, gross, right? Mm -hmm. We get so upset, it's so offensive to us. But what is deemed the smaller sins, such as gossip, is not so small. Right. Gossip or, you know, being rude or mean to somebody, mm -hmm. those are all big things in the eyes of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I think that referencing back to what you had mentioned, the idea of unity, mm -hmm. and once you start breaking up that unity, and what all he was referencing also, um, I think that is, is something that's very dangerous. Mm -hmm. We get very comfortable in our own lives, and we do start thinking, well, you know, I'm a believer, so for now, the bigger sins are what I need to focus on. Mm -hmm. Let me not pay attention to the little things, but it is the little things that can get you. And yep. in your own comfort zone, they'll creep in, and they'll take over, and before you know it, Mm -hmm. that's where that's where it's come it's come from within our own right a lot of times something that happens uh in all walks of life but we're talking about the church is we put people on a pedestal mm. uh you know the pastor goes up he preaches a beautiful sermon we're like wow 
God must, he must have a great relationship with God. You know, I wish God could, could love me like that, could give me a message like that to share with people, something like that. So we put, we put church leadership on like this pedestal where they, subconsciously or not, we sort of feel like they're higher than us morally. Mm -hmm. they, they have better moral judgment, mm -hmm. uh, things of that nature, which makes it so easy for someone that we as churchgoers have put in this place to take advantage of that, that trust as uh, is seen here is, um, you know, everybody is fallible. Mm -hmm. You know, there is not a single infallible person here on earth. Mm -hmm. uh, anybody can use whatever power they have for good or for evil. Right. Um, and that's kind of what happened here. Right. And so we can ask ourselves to, to, to link this to now something today. How can the church today deal with leadership that may choose to do their own thing rather than follow, follow God's leading? I think it has to start from the lay people. Okay. I, I really feel strongly about that is because, you know, if, if we as church members, you know, if we, you know, take a stand and say, you know what, this is our church too, mm -hmm. you know, and if we see bad leadership, and I'm talking about bad in, in, a, in a bad sense, of course, I'm not talking about petty or small things, but if we see leadership that is supremely going against what the word of God says or the spirit of prophecy, I think, first of all, the lay members need to know their Bibles and know right. their spirit of prophecy, right. but they also have to say something, you know, if you see something, you should say something and I think that would really benefit our church but if the lay people if you know the regular church member realizes how important their role is as maybe they're not a leader but they are a church member and they need to be involved it can bring so much health back to our churches when we talked about this this lesson in, in the beginning of the quarter we talked about how sometimes we place the burden of all of those things on the leaders yep Mm -hmm. And we kind of leave it up to them to tell us how mm. or dictate how uh, this particular principle should be carried out. But like you're saying, we're responsible to know those things. We're responsible to interact with those things. The term that was used was, was, was the corporate relationship with, with Jesus Christ. We need to start having more personal relationships mm -hmm. with Jesus Christ because when we do that, we are more prepared to identify these types of uh, scenarios that manifest themselves and when we look at the remnant were they unable to identify the differences just in the approach between Jedaliah, Johanan and Ishmael where they did they not see these things coming were they off in a corner somewhere just you know, trusting to hear what the next word is, or were they really interactive with what Scripture had been telling them? Yeah, and I think that's what it means to be an engaged church member, you know. We, we shouldn't only have the focus of going to the prayer meeting. Uh, we should also go to the board and business meetings, you know. We should be engaged. We should know what the leadership's all about, what the leadership is doing. Many times it's good things, but they could do even a better job right. if we could give our input. Uh, if, if we as lay members of the church or in, uh, other people, you know, people that own Bibles, you know, we should, we should be studying the Bible. We should be looking right. at what the leadership says. You sh uh, what is the sermon about? The sermon today was about uh, this, this, and that. All right, well, let's read through the Bible. Let's mm -hmm. see, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, what this is all about. But Participate in your yeah, faith. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of times uh, we go to church and it's like, almost like going to the theater. Yeah. Hmm. You know, we yeah. sit down in our seats Yes. Um, we look up at the stage and people go up and they do things and we're like, 
great show. And then <laughs> uh, we go home and we're like, wow, that was so nice. So and <laughs> we leave it we, there. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's our church experience. And why uh, is that? Why and, is that dangerous? It's dangerous because when we're looking here at the example, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't the Babylonians that ended up offing them. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a slippery slope because <laughs> if, if you're not involved yourself and you are not reading and learning and researching for yourself, you can't, you, you're blindly accepting what right. somebody else is telling you. Right. And say, for example, if that, that truth that they're giving you isn't truth, you, and you're not, you know, following up with your own study, and be as, as a lay person of the church and being involved, you, you're on a slippery slope. And the next thing you know, you're following in a way that you shouldn't be. Right. And, and that way that you shouldn't be isn't quickly or readily identified because yeah. it's administered by someone <laughs> who should know better. Uh, you know, so, you know, this, it's very important, I think, when we're talking about back to Egypt, the steps that lead us there. Mm. It's literally within ourselves, we are placing ourselves back into a captivity that we've already been released from. Can you I'm imagine? So yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you, I asked if one of you could have prepared verse 43, 8 through 13, the response is there about what God says in that verse. Um, okay, so verse, verse four, chapter 43, uh, verses 8 through 13 are talking about um, how about how Babylon uh, Nebuchadnezzar will go through and he will set his throne uh, on the well he says in here he set these throne his throne above these stones that I have hidden mm -hmm. uh, and then it goes on he says he will burn the houses of the gods of Egypt and uh, like this man is just going to take over everything that the Israelites knew mm -hmm. everything like the Israelites pretty much knew two things two regions it was Canaan, the area of, uh, of modern-day Israel and um, that area, and they knew Egypt. And both, both regions are mentioned here. This is, this is not, it's not going to help to go back to Egypt, even if you did. Right. They're still going to ravage Egypt. They're going to take over everything. Um, and it says here, you know, how applicable, applicable is this to our Christian culture today? You know, we want to sometimes fall into the ways of the past. Mm -hmm. uh, we we have something happens and we're like we want to fall into the past, but that's not going to help. Right. You know, we have to. What's what's in the Bible is more important than hmm. what we're comfortable with. Amen. And so, as we think about as we think about this this analogy here, this this once more an action that Jeremiah was asked to 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 act out bury the stones in clay while the Jews are watching. I think this is significant because I think what God is trying to say, run, run, run some more. You cannot escape the will that, that has been set forth in motion. This is the will of God. It's going to happen. I'm giving you the opportunities to live through this experience that will mold and shape you into the people that I have called you to be. But if you keep running, you're actually going backwards. Hmm. And back to Egypt to me is, a sim is symbolic of how we ourselves can remain in captivity once we refuse to accept the leading that Christ has set before us. Amen. Guys, thanks so much for discussing this lesson with us. Thank you. Uh, if you would like to contact us, please visit our website at www.sabbathschoolu.org. That's www.sabbathschool.org. Remember, the goal of Bible study is information and transformation. 
It's for the head and for the heart. For Sabbath School University, I'm Michael Martell.